Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs' Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're going to be talking to John Katnak, the tech leader in a fascinating company, making the probate process as smooth and as painless as it can be. So let's not delay. Let's get John into the space to share his tech leadership journey and the much needed solution the business he's working for is providing. So welcome to CTO Confessions, John. It's great to have you on board, sir. Hey, TC. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me. It's brilliant to be here and uh, have a chat with you. Excellent. So tell the audience who you are and what you do, sir. Yep. So I'm John Katnak. I am CTO for a company called Exazent. So uh, Exazent is the industry platform for people involved with managing the bereavement process. Um, I joined 12 months ago and we've been building essentially the team and the company uh, from that point, from its two founders who started at the end of 2019. So it's been a, it's been a great journey over the last 12 months with everything going on in the world and the opportunities and the challenges that that's brought for us. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, before we go into the company and the platform that you're here, about yourself, your leadership, uh, how you got to where you are now, how did you become a CTO? What was the journey like? Yeah, it's been it's been an interesting journey. So yeah, I, I started off as a engineering at university, so systems integration, and it's funny looking back on, you know, 20 odd years ago, sounds scary to say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, looking back at our our course that we ran and the course that we did all about integrating components, all about delivering quickly, T-shaped engineers, we'd call them these days. Oh, wow. uh, yes. I don't think we had a name back then, but it's uh, it's fun to look back. So I, I always had that integration side of things. Um, I fell into software. I, I actually studied uh, wireless communications and RF communications as my specialism. Um, but software is one of those things that you can get instant gratification from. So yeah. so that's that's where I fell into software 20 years ago. Um, I've worked with sort of large consultancies, so Accenture. I've worked with uh, JP Morgan as a product owner. Um, and, I, and I've been through that engineer right through to team leads, through to delivery managers, software architects. Yeah. Um, and this opportunity just came up as a as sort of engineering manager leading into a CTO role. And I just, I've always, I've always wanted to challenge myself. I've always wanted to have the opportunity to build a team and build something from scratch. And that's really why I ended up here. Just, yeah, uh, yeah I've tried all those different roles and this was a real opportunity for me to yeah. I guess put my money where my mouth is and prove that I can I can do it from scratch. So. Excellent. I, I guess that was, um, I mean, you sound like somebody who likes to kind of get uncomfortable and stretch, you know? Uh, find your new your new envelope the boundary of who you are yeah yeah 100 percent. i think yeah I've, I've always moved fast funnily enough we you know we always do these personality types and i come out as an entrepreneur and I, i'm always yeah i'm always challenging the boundaries um whether that was back with accenture whether that was through jp morgan where we were doing some large-scale transformations yeah. um for me it is about you know growth mindset um pushing people, pushing myself and constantly learning and bringing with me the people who are around me. Yeah. Um, and, and as I say, challenging myself, putting myself out there and taking some risks. Um, I guess we don't innovate, we don't find change, we don't drive change if we're not um, taking the occasional risk. Um, yes. And I always got frustrated by the, you know, sometimes if it's a if it's a large organization and it's very process driven um it can become challenging and frustrating for me so that's absolutely yeah I've, I've worked in the corporate world myself and i know exactly what you're talking about it's uh, it's a different thing and i can imagine the environment that you're in now is uh, is a lot more dynamic um and and, a lot, and easier to kind of get outcomes i guess yeah yeah 100% i mean we we came into this, so the founders, uh, myself joining, we, we always wanted to create an agile company, a place, a modern company where people want to work. Yeah, It's about delivering value. It's not about delivering, you know, to project plans, to timelines. Uh, everything is customer focused for us, and that makes it an ideal environment. We're able to release things quickly. 
we're able to try and get a quick feedback from our customers and work with them. Um, and we have an awesome service delivery service design team um, who were able to work with us and actually get real feedback from customers and get real insights into what people want. Um, yeah. And, you know, because we're a startup, because we've been able to build our own processes and develop our own processes, you know, we're able to avoid a lot of the pitfalls of, you know, a huge paper exercises, large change advisory boards, a million steps to deploy a change where we're very lean, um, we're very agile and we're focused on keeping that. Um, obviously, whilst ensuring sort of quality and the, and the necessary checks and balances are in place, but yeah, it's about giving the customers the value that they need as quickly as possible. As quickly as possible, yeah. And contrasting where you are now and the kind of company you're working in, the culture that you're in now to the corporate world, um, do you think some of the kind of heaviness of the corporate world is actually necessary? Do, do, do you think they have to have that stuff in place? That's a really interesting one. I, th I think a lot of it has born of the fact that, you know, some of these companies have been around a long time and it's very difficult to change things. Um, and you end up with layers upon layers upon layers because, you know, nobody does anything at a time for the wrong reasons. So when these things were put in place, it was the right thing. Um, yeah. You know, you go back to things like change advisory boards and we've all been there where you have the monthly advisory board and change requests are agreed and approved and you've got your requirements written in advance. But I guess back then the technology didn't exist for automated testing. We didn't have test coverage. We didn't have all these tools. Yes. Um, and therefore you needed those checks and balances. But, but I think a lot of the checks and balances that are in place now um, are there because they've always been there. Um, yeah. And it's and it's a lot easier to add something than it is to remove something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And therefore we just add more things, um, but yeah. we don't clean up after we go. And and that's a huge challenge in large organizations as well. You know, yeah. there's, there's a large industries. Sure. It's a large, I can imagine a large layer cake of, of layers of process and process and process. Um, I, I kind of likened it to a gridlock, you know, everybody wants to move, but nobody wants to move, you know? Uh, 100%, yeah, yeah, that's, know, that's exactly what it's like. I mean, I mean, to be fair, you know, a lot of these large companies are making some huge inroads, um, yeah. and some of them are really innovative and challenging, but yeah, they're, they're tankers, and it takes yeah. a long time for these things to shift. For a turn, yeah. So coming back to your company then, I can't, I'm going to try and pronounce it, actually. Um, <laughs> I, I I was practicing it earlier on. Um, X Xizent. Yep, Xizent. Hey, there you yeah, go. There you go. First time. <laughs> and does that does the name have a meaning by any chance? I am. Um, it it doesn't. There is a backstory. It's probably too long for this podcast. But okay. yeah, there is a backstory <laughs> between the CEO and CEO around uh, different variations of the names. Um, it is a made up word. Um, but yeah, it it's it's. Yeah just came about through some some random conversations and amalgamation of words so. yeah I, I just have a i have a thing about uh, meanings of things maybe i'm a bit too kind of curious on that front uh, <laughs> um and and so the, the the problem your company is solving so most brilliant uh, companies are solving a problem of some sort describe to the audience what that is yeah so um so it's, a, it's an interesting problem that we're trying to solve and it's one that a lot of people don't like to talk about which is the reason why the problem exists i guess unfortunately so um a part of life that we generally don't talk about certainly in, in our culture is the end of life the sort of the, the death process managing of bereavement um i think we've all been through it we've all had family members or friends who've been through it um and one of the areas there is is managing estates so the, the probate uh processing um and unfortunately in today's day and age, we have all this digital information, we have all these connected systems. However, the end of life process still continues to be a relatively manual process. We still have to contact various institutes to inform them of a deceased family member, to close bank accounts, to close insurance, to stop payments going out to gas, electricity providers. Um, and that's a that's a stressful, unnecessary process for someone to have to go through when actually they're trying to grieve uh, for a friend or family member, um, and it's it's just unnecessary in our opinion. Um, we believe that technology should be able to connect all the data and the services and the network of people in one place mm. um, and bring that together so that people can focus on what they should be doing at that point, which is grieving, not 
sending the same letter or a copy of a death certificate off to 15 or 20 different places just to demonstrate or prove that the deceased is is correct and provide that level of detail um so so yeah it's um it's an interesting area and and yeah it's 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 one of these industries i guess that you know we deal with open banking we deal with open finance we've all got everything on our phones in our hands um but at that time when we need access to the data it just doesn't seem to be there so so yeah yeah we want to be that platform um that links all that data together yeah i, I can imagine there's a lot of duplicating as you can have mentioned sending the same thing to different people again and again um i had a note here from previous conversations about 40 forms that need to be kind of filled in at various kind of times and points um I mean, one form's enough, you know. I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't like filling in forms, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. It's a, it's a, it's a lot of repetitive work. It's a lot of repetitive data. Um, I mean, even just inheritance tax. If we look at that, there's around 25 forms relating to inheritance tax based on, you know, items in the estate um, and what you have and what you don't have. And yeah, there's there's simple estates, there's complex estates, but it, yeah, a lot of that data is already stored somewhere um, yeah. and we shouldn't have to be asking people for that or to bring it together so That's I right. think uh, yeah it's 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 removing that and uh, bringing the distributed information together um, in one place just a challenge yeah I, so I in my mind in my mind's eye I see the kind of the end 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 uh, uh, customer if you want to call them that you know which is the kind of loved ones of the breathe uh, you know the breathing loved ones um, that's not the direct kind of t uh, people are using your platform at the moment. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So so probate is a you know it's a complex legal process that can be done by individuals, but most people do that through our legal services firms. Um, so our our platform is essentially the glue that binds the legal services firms, the institutions. Um, as well as the executors of the estate um, yeah. to essentially bring together everything that's required to make the journey for the bereaved um, just an easier one, I right. guess. So, yeah. you know, I, going back what, 20, 30 years, you know, we, we all had physical bank statements and we all got letters with our gas bills and our water bills and and it was all there in that shoebox and you could just go and work out, you know, some whatever the estate had a lot of the time from that information, whereas... You know, in the digital world, we're all paperless. Um, everything is online. Mm. You know, um, my wife probably hasn't got a clue what random shares I happen to buy or what applications I'm using or where my data is dispersed. Um, and it's quite eye-opening even for myself in the last 12 months looking at, you know, the process of just managing your life and thinking, okay, well, you know, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to my loved ones? Where's this information? How are they going to find out about assets and liabilities that i may have that are going to help them uh when i pass away um and we basically want to simplify that process and bring all of that together so. cool and is your kind of aim to to get directly to the um you know allowing people like myself so for example i've got a family and i've got assets uh to make my uh, passwords and and various accounts that i have all in one place is that is that where you're um, we yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it's quite a, a, obviously with uh, everything we've been going through in the last 12 months with the whole pandemic going on, there's a lot of uh, people looking at this. So there are companies who are looking at, you know, pre-life planning and, and bringing all of those things for us. It's about the um, it's about the sort of the bereavement stage and bringing that together yeah. um, rather than the the collecting the data during during life. Um yeah. There's other people who are looking to do that. And and one of the key things that we sort of tend to take as a strategy is look, we can't, you know, we can't solve every problem in this um area. Yeah. You know, let's let's focus on something, let's do it well. Um, and for us it is that data aggregation piece and bringing all that information together and working with the the legal firms um to help process those probate cases. Sure. Um one of the key things for us as well is that you know, we think the legal services, you know, a lot of startups, a lot of digital online things are seen as, you know, automating work. But um, we think the legal services provide a critical part of this service in terms of the advice they provide. Um, yes. And that's why we're looking to provide a platform for them to to use and operate and essentially work with their clients. Uh, throughout yeah. this. We can, you know, they can focus on more time actually dealing with 
and talking to their clients rather than writing letters and performing administrative tasks. Yeah, I, I was going to use the word disrupting the market, but you're not actually you're serving the market. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's a good way of it's a good way of putting it. Um, you know, we can we can talk about the technology side of things as disrupting it because there's nothing, as I say, at the minute that none of these systems are interconnected. Um, a lot of the communications done is done via paper and letters, um, and you know, institutes have large teams to deal with bereavement processing, and they do an amazing job in terms of dealing with you know grieving people phoning up asking to close their accounts or to access funds to pay for something or to pay the their gas bill, um, mm. but ultimately it still requires a phone call or writing a letter, um, yeah. and in reality we should be able to do a lot of that with the with the click of a, a button and, and just nail it in one go. Um, you know, you look at companies like Settled who are talking about things of bringing together, you know, one place to, to you know, transfer and freeze the accounts of, of people um, mm-hmm. across utilities and banking and pensions. And it's just something that I guess we take for granted in our day-to-day lives, but there's not been the focus on this this part of a person's life, I guess. Yes. And is, this, is there like a, a government organisation or, or somebody overseeing this that wants this change in the market? Or is this purely a kind of private venture to solve the problem um so it 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 started off um essentially as a private venture but i think we've all seen you know with the increase in bereavements and numbers as a result of the pandemic as well that you know the services are are sort of creaking at the seams and i think there's been a recognition um across industry that this is an area that needs to be dealt with Mm. um so there are you know it does now get talked about i think settled is a good example where that you know we are talking about that with um, with various government organisations. There, there is various movements to streamline the bereavement process in terms of standardising that, in terms of standardising the um, the way families are charged for the services um, and the fees that are associated with that. So th- there's a lot more being talked about now than there was 12 months ago, which is brilliant. Yeah, um, yeah. I think there's still some way for us to go in terms of standardizing it and making it part of a standard conversation when we get into these areas. Excellent. I And I'm really curious, actually, from a data perspective, because being a, a, an ex-software engineer myself, um, are there kind of the APIs that you need to kind of collect this data all out there or these things you're having to develop alongside in parallel? Uh, so it's a combination. Um, you know, some companies are relatively modern they have things via apis there are apis that we can use to gather and do some research into what a person's estate may have looked at in terms of their assets or their liabilities and we can take advantages of those to try and streamline the process of discovering assets um, that the person has um as i say some you know we have large huge units and institutes who are purely set up to deal with a manual process um and, it, and it's a really difficult one so in terms of standardization and APIs, there's no one standard because if you look across, you know, all of the systems and the interfaces a person deals with, you know, there's utilities, banking, pensions, mm. you know, broadband, social media accounts, um, you know, it's just a huge list. Um, so therefore, it's a it's a disparate set of information. But that's where we see ourselves fitting in in terms of providing that standardized access to the data so that other people can come and consume that without the complexities of having to integrate with multiple different providers um, and align and map all those data sets into one. Um, so that's a it's a key part of what we want to do, as I say, is, is be that, I guess, that glue that sits behind all of this and can be utilized by other bereavement processing platforms. Yeah, this is great. I, I really see uh, the value that you're delivering to the market, you know, because uh, um, it, you know, there's a side of it that's inefficient, uh, but there's also uh, the kind of the end, you know, the, the ultimate outcome you want is to make this as easy and as smooth as it can be um, yeah. but for everyone concerned. It, yeah, um, it's, a, it's a difficult one, you know. Yeah, it's, it happens it's, once in a person's lifetime and I guess for anyone who's built products, it's it's about focusing on that, but it has a huge impact on, on society and, and everyone around. So we think it's right. worth it. Um, coming back to yourself, John, in terms of yep. yourself as a leader and as a person, okay, because yep. you are a person. Um, <laughs> uh, what's your kind of, what's your passion in, in this kind of field, the technology field? What really kind of make, helps you kind of jump out of bed and, and want to do stuff? Um, good question. As I, as I get older, it gets harder to get out of bed. Yeah, I'm not even that old. Go, <laughs> um, 
for me it's for me it's about solving problems i've always loved solving problems everything from my you know i guess my first project at accenture was exposing pensions data to people via a you know public facing website for department for working pensions so you could plan for your pension yeah um, right through to you know the enablement of jp morgan and and this this project here this product that we're building is just all about making people's lives easier and using technology to do that um, and for me i get really excited when i can use technology to simplify something that you know as i say why why do we need to write letters and send letters when actually we can write some software and mm. ultimately we can allow people to do things that add value i think we need to we need to look at the opportunities for everybody and if someone's spending time writing a letter that we don't need to do that then i'm sure they would rather and we would rather we were using their you know the skills and the talent that they have for much better purposes rather yeah. than uh, mundane tasks um and and that really drives me um just making a difference with technology and mm. and and for us at Xazent, it's just you know it's been 12 months of building a product from scratch building an awesome team from scratch to to come together and and you know every day seeing people grow seeing people develop uh, in terms of the company's culture the people we're bringing in and just the you know the challenges and solutions that the team are, are pulling together um, yeah. is a great thing. Brilliant, love that. Um, I just want to cover something I saw yeah. on your um, LinkedIn, I think we kind of mentioned before, is that you kind of offer some time to the Code Club and, and a STEM ambassador. Yeah, I just think, you know, I've got I've got kids between three and 18. Um, and they. I, I just think we need to encourage uh, kids and just people who aren't in technology, just give them exposure to, you know, the whole STEM area of what a difference it can make, uh, what a great career it is and how enjoyable it is. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about um, diversity in STEM and bringing that. And I just think it's critical that if we get into schools um, or we get into colleges or we just get into wider communities and groups and talk about that and show people what they can be doing and what they can achieve. Um, it's just good for the industry and it's good for us all yes. to bring things in. I think it's, you know, it's one of the things we wanted to do in terms of exercise of, of bringing people through as well. You know, with you know, the classic, the, the age of uh, you know every job for an engineer saying must have a degree is like it, it's gone. There's there's absolutely no need for that. And some yes. of the most talented people we have, you know, didn't go to university. It's not, you know, there's different routes for everybody to take. And I think uh, supporting things like code clubs and doing the the ambassador is a is a great way of doing that. Um, and it's it's great to you know when you see uh, you know a young kid write a piece of software or write a little computer game and uh, yeah. see their face light up when they you know or they solve that they fix that bug that wasn't working and all of a sudden they they get that little buzz and that satisfaction. So excellent, I love that. Reminds me of when I used to start programming on my ZX Spectrum. No, it was a ZX81 actually. I don't know if you recall those. Yep. 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 Uh, my very those. first programs, and I remember moving a cursor around a screen, and you should have seen my face. Yeah. I was happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't take a lot, does it? But yeah, that I, I think that's it. I mean, that was why I jumped from, you know, I guess, physical engineering and uh, designing, you know, electronic systems and things to software because it gives you that opportunity to just iterate so quickly. quickly. And, and, yeah. and I guess going back to what I said earlier about, you know, T-shaped engineers and all of that. And actually, I think that's probably what I was doing 20 years ago. We just didn't have the label. It's the same for iteration. It's very yeah. much... Yeah, you know, I've always had the mindset of, well, fix the problem as quickly as you can, and and then learn from it, and learn from the mistakes, and and learn what you can do. And I think that's, you know, it's exactly what agile is all about these days. Um, yes, is is getting something out there that solves the problem. It might not be perfect, but at least it solves the problem. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to have a look at that code club because I've got a thirteen-year-old, and I'd like her to get interested in something other than TikTok. It's a great program. Yeah, it's an absolutely brilliant yeah. program. I loved doing it. I haven't done it for a, a couple of years, um, that Code Club side of things, but it's absolutely brilliant to do it in a lot of schools and things. Schools and libraries run it. Um, and there are so many people just, you know, give up a lot of their time to to drive it. And uh, yeah, it's really good. I might join a club myself, get back into the coding. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I can do anything. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, coming on to your leadership then, John, uh, what kind of leader are you? How would you just, how would somebody describe your leadership style? Oh, um, I think I vary. So I'm definitely, I would definitely say uh, an enabler. Um, 
I'm certainly not a command and control approach. I'm very much a, you know, give people space to grow and people make space to make mistakes and they'll learn from their mistakes. Um, and I think that just comes back from the experience and some of the great sort of leaders I've had and experienced in my life in the past that, you know, I certainly myself would much rather try something and fail at it and learn yeah. why I failed rather than just be, have my hand held. Um, I think that is challenging. I think because of my background, um, if, you know, if I look at myself, I, I can get frustrated, you know, some people aren't confident to make mistakes. Um, and that frustrates me. Um, I think my dad stopped phoning me now with his computer problems because he realizes how frustrated I get when I just ask him, have you just tried this? Have you just clicked on that button to see what it does? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think there's the, the two sides to it, but yeah, I'm very, I'm very much a, a pro, you know, growth is about managing yourself and yes, you can nudge people in the right direction or you can give them a, you know, you can set them a clear goal or an outcome that you want to achieve, but you have to give them the space to go and try and achieve that themselves. Um, and that has to be a safe environment where they can make mistakes or they can maybe achieve the wrong thing, but you can then have a conversation and learn about it. Yeah. Um, so that's ultimately, ultimately my style, I think. Team might say something entirely different. But, <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they're probably listening yeah, to this in the future going, oh, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's good. Thank you for your honesty. Um, uh, this is kind of a bit of a coaching question, actually. Does do you have a kind of like a purpose in part as part of your leadership? Is there a, a purpose behind your leadership that drives you? Um, I mean, it, it's it's related to this statement, I guess. That doesn't this statement doesn't really align necessarily directly to this. But one of the, I guess, one of the best pieces of information I got was to make myself expendable. Um, and this was this was in Accenture where it was very much you'd go from project to project. Mm. And if you wanted to go to the best project, then you had to be able to move at short notice. Um, right. Well, that means you need to be able to move at short notice and therefore you've transferred your knowledge to everybody. You're not that silo. You're not that single point of failure. Um, and that's got me a long way throughout my career. And I think the purpose, you know, I think that's driven me in my purpose as in it's about it's about enabling people to grow and enabling them to, you know, telling them that it's okay not to be the expert or not to be the one person who has that piece of information because if they become that single point of failure they're never going to go anywhere you know yeah. we're not going to give them the next project or if an opportunity comes up for them to do something else you're not going to get that opportunity because we can't afford to lose you on that thing that you are the expert in yeah. um so i think my purpose uh, in my leadership is purely about you know people's growth and enabling them or helping them to reach their potential um, and reach their goals. I think a lot of people, I, I sort of put it as two different things probably because I think I think a lot of people don't realize how much potential they have for a start. I think we're yeah. naturally tough on ourselves. Yeah. Um, so we have our goals and we might talk about things, but actually it's about stretching people beyond that and making them realize that they can go further. But as I say, if you've got those, you know, if you've got that chain around your ankle, that means you can't leave that particular product or that live system behind because you're the only person who has the login details or you're the only person who has access to this thing then actually you're never going to escape it yes um so yeah my purpose is to i guess free people and you know like allow them to, to help the goal yeah it's um it's quite a an interesting perspective to take to want to become not needed so leading remote teams, because obviously we're living in this kind of craziness at the moment. We're all we're all in our homes. I can see you were in your lovely study there. Um, how have you found that leading from from a distance? It's been interesting. I think I think I set off on this last twelve months with a view that it wasn't a problem. I've spent the last fifteen years working with teams in the US, in India, and in Singapore, um, and therefore, you know, remote leadership. You know, it's what it's what we do every day, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that the challenge has been with this, it's been sort of, I guess, I was going to say twofold, but it's probably more than twofold. Um, the challenge during COVID and lockdown is that you're not really working from home, you're imprisoned in your own home. <laughs> and there's a difference. <laughs> yeah. So you, you know, leading, leading has been much more about, I guess, the, the mental well-being of people, um, because they don't have an outlet outside work for a lot of people, you know, they spend hours on zoom or teams calls during the day then maybe chat to some of their friends in the evening but you don't have that social interaction that you're normally used to mm -hmm. um and i think on that point 
you know, whenever whenever I've worked with teams in the past, I've always been lucky enough to be able to go and visit those teams, even if it's just for a week. Mm. And they've always been the most um, the most useful time that we've had because you go and spend a week in person and you really get to know someone, whether it's just going for drinks, going for a meal, going to the bowling alley, what, whatever that is. And mm. we don't have the ability to do that and you don't realise how much, how much that impacts you. Um, but, you know, I... I think it's been good. I think the challenges have been just everybody getting used to communicating, everybody understanding what communication means um, and thinking about things differently in terms of, you know, we, we talked at the, the start about the thing that we really miss is overhearing that conversation in the other side of the room and mm-hmm. actually just hearing that keyword and think I can go and fix that problem for them and save yeah. them an hour of, of calls. Um, for us we just try and you know we try and do things differently now so you know we have shared channels in the teams rooms and we try and make conversations overly public in those so that you know you can scan down them or you can spot keywords in that chat and go yeah these people are having a conversation about this thing or um and and trying to encourage people to have conversations it's a lot of the time especially for engineers um you know you're sat in front of your ide you're typing away you've got an instant messenger in the corner you know it's too easy just to have instant message chats all day and not actually have a face-to-face or a, a video conference mm-hmm. with, uh, with somebody um so trying to encourage people to actually you know you could probably answer this question in two minutes with a conversation rather than an hour of back backwards and forwards chats. Ping, yeah chat ping pong um yeah I, I like the idea of this kind of over communicating um i could see this kind of balance there because you don't want obviously too much information people tune out you know they they'll do, they yeah. actively mute things out but this overhearing stuff um so, uh, i mean what what's the kind of lessons learned to uh, for other leaders out there that might want to try this because i i'm intrigued by this because i like the idea of you being able to scan down and going well oh yeah i, I oh, that's quite interesting I, I i'm interested in that yeah i mean we we did we did two approaches we have one which is obviously just the text chat um, and in conversations, we'll tag a couple of key people who are having it. Um, but we have a, you know, we have a feature team team room. I guess a lot of people do that, and we'll try and have a chat about things like that, so the product owner can dip in and out. Um, the other one we also do though is if we're having a conversation or a group conversation, we'll try and have that in a shared channel, so it's not an organised meeting. It's just a, you know, it's a chat between two or three people in a shared channel and you can straight away see there's a chat going on um, and we'll try and give it a meaningful title. Um, yeah. Some people are good at the titles. So we, you know, we try and do this just to socialize as well. Um, so, you know, <laughs> titles might be super secret meeting or titles <laughs> might be, you know, ticket yeah. number X, Y, Z. Um, it, it depends what you, what your purpose is, but everybody's got, you know, we've all seen the clickbait links and things. Everybody's uh, yeah. got an idea. So we'll tend to put some clickbait titles into those to yeah. attract the people we want to come into those calls. Um, and there's, there's so much, you know, you, you look at, um, I think I did a course with uh, Craig Larman on sort of large scale scrum a few years ago. And I remember, or less, and, and he, I remember him talking about communications and, and the way we talk and, you know, IDEs and, commu- you know, the communication for engineers is potentially just that a person has just committed a change which is in the same class as the class that they're using um, and a little pop-up to say hey so this person's just changed this file and it is about looking at those wider types of communications so yes. can, what other channels can you use you know we we have all our bitbucket updates going into a shared channel if people want to see that we have pull request comments. We have some of the teams who use sort of VS code with plugins that tell them every time someone's changed that repository so they get feedback. Um, yeah. And I think it is, it, it, you say it's over communicating, but you know, the brain is there to filter out yeah. what's not necessary. And I think if we trust that brain, we, we do get used to it. So that's exactly it. We'll condition ourselves to be able to we will. turn out that, that noise. Um, I, I find it, I find it interesting around the communication because this is a, this is a problem that we're all having here. Hence why I want to control that. One of the things that I'm writing at the moment is around how you contextualize, how you give emotional context to, to a message, you know? Uh, yeah. And one of the things that we've talked about is emojis. I mean, emojis sometimes are considered to be unprofessional. Yeah. But I, I find them really useful because it kind of gives a, if you're having a, a, a kind of funny dig at somebody, an emoji yeah. that gives a context. But is this something that you do in your organization, in your channels? Um, we have, we have, yeah. So people do it to varying degrees. But again, I think that, 
is an indication of people's personalities. So I don't think it's a bad thing. You get some people who are addicted to gifts um, and every message has a GIF associated with it. Um, yeah. Or alternatively, you get, you know, you've got GIFs, hashtags and emojis and depending on the person, yeah. um, they use different, they, they use different medium. There's, yeah. probably, there's probably a good study there about whether it's related to the person's age and things as well. I think yeah, GIFs, yes. is, you know, I, I tend to be hashtags, but maybe that's just because I was brought up on Twitter and I'm so used to hashtags. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's good. I think you've just got to try different things. Um, yes. And yeah, we, we have yeah emojis all over the place, whether yeah. it's in sort of documentation or whether it's in instant chat. I think it just, yeah, as you say, it gives a good indication and gives yeah. you some additional context. It's, it's just the, uh, when you forget, you get a bit carried away and you, you message a customer with a heart or something, you know, with kids. But I think it is important to contextualise the, the communication, especially when it's very, what I call two-dimensional, you know, it's just flat and it's just text. And it kind of loses yeah. that dimension, you know, uh, so it's going to add into it. And I, I like the idea of also using hashtags. I don't think this is used enough in uh, communication channels where hashtags can be used to kind of bind different channels together in some way, you know. Yeah. And it, it kind of does the gluing for you inherently. Um, yeah. Just yeah. aggregate the data together to understand what people are talking about. Brilliant. Engineering challenges. What what kind of challenges have you uh, uh, been facing in, in your development, your platform? Um, I mean, so so we we built the platform, as I say, we've been agile, we've gone for an iterative approach. Um, I think the challenges we faced are probably similar to most modern software delivery uh, teams, which is about, I guess it's about the technology versus the speed of delivery and technical debt um, and your approach. So, you know, we, we're, we're cloud-based, I guess you'd expect that of everybody. Yep. We're cloud-based, we're serverless. We spent a lot of time getting uh, continuous integration set up right. um, and continuous development in place. Um, so we spent a lot of time getting our tooling in place to support the engineers to remove, you know, I guess to remove some of the friction that often engineers support or, or experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the biggest challenge is, yeah, we want our we need to build a thing for our customer. We can build something that would, you know we think will get us through at least three to six months, or we can build something that will last us five years. Um, yeah. And there's a cost associated with that. And we either take the cost or the hit now in terms of it's going to take us an extra X amount of time to deliver, yeah. or we take the hit of, yeah, but we can deliver it then and we're going to have to rebuild it in six months. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a constant, it's a constant balance um, as a startup. It's very much, you know, I guess, uh, our sort of lead platform engineer is is really good at this and often talks about you know if we have technical debt then the startup's been successful um yes and and if we don't have technical debt then you know what we might have the most beautiful system and beautiful platform but either somebody else has delivered something faster than us because they did take on the technical debt hit or alternatively we spend six months building something and it turns out by the time you put it in front of the customer they've moved on um, and they wanted something different so so we tend to try and talk about releasing value iteratively and as fast as we can, um, just to reduce that feedback loop um, yes. from the customers, if nothing else. Um, and we regularly talk 12 months in, you know, we we, we launched our platform in October. Um, so it's not even 12 months, you know, five, six months in, we funnily enough, a couple of the guys talk about one of our sort of components in there as being our legacy component six months on. They're like, yeah, we need to move on from <laughs> really? our legacy. Yeah, our legacy API. Um, which is which is really funny, but it's you know, yeah. it it does the job. It will do the job for the next six months, but will it do the job for the six months after that? Well, it depends what the customers need us to do, and it depends on the volumes and the success. But you know, because of the architecture and the platform we've built being serverless and component based, then it's not a big deal to slot yeah. it out and replace it with another component. It's it's how you move fast, and it's I guess it all comes back to purpose and vision, and you know. Uh, our vision of making the difference for people and our purpose of of getting that out there is well our purpose isn't to build a beautiful you know technology stack with the latest technology and and all of that our purpose is to solve this problem brilliant i like that i've got a um, a note here not being held back by ideals you know it's about delivering that value it is yeah 100 percent um and, and yeah, you've got you've got to balance that you know you've still you also have to say well actually if we put if we don't put this thing in now it's actually going to be six months worth of work. So we really need on this, on this occasion, we do need to build that that solution. Right. Um, 
but there are some areas where it, you know you can get something out there which is you know don't get me wrong it still has to meet the necessary standards you know for data protection and security and all of that mm. um but you can get something out it's it's a classic i think i saw a tweet or something somewhere where somebody had said you know i've just spent six hours writing an automation script for something that would have taken me six minutes to do manually and i'm only going to run it once um you know and it is very much you know yeah. what if we if we can do that and we can get that out then let's just let's just manually do that thing and if it yeah. comes back and we need to run it 100 times we'll build the automation to support so yeah i, I i'm kind of uh, remembering unit testing in my kind of uh, yeah. the same thing with unit testing because that kind of sits alongside the code as it's been developed and there's a lot yeah. of investment that goes into unit testing so there's always that balance between how much unit testing do you actually implement is it to the nth degree or is it just enough or Let's not bother you right now because everything's fluid, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's a good one. I, I mean, the counter to that, and so we've we've focused a lot on getting our sort of test coverage and our our testing up, so integration testing, unit testing, um, and it's really about testing the user journeys for us. So you know, unit testing something to the nth degree is brilliant because it gives us confidence that that component is there. But the key thing for us with our sort of continuous integration is that. The more testing we have there, the the quicker we can release. Because every time I make a code change, then I'm very confident that actually yeah. the rest of the code has been tested through those unit tests, and then I can progress. Um, so that that one is very much for us. Uh, you know, that's our our one that no, we need to we need to spend time on automation of tests. Um, whether that's our front end, we use Cypress for our front end tests. Whether that's our you know API level tests, or whether that's a, a lower level, because we don't want to get into the point, you know, in these classic systems where in a year or two years time, somebody's scared to change a piece of code because nobody quite knows what it does and there's no tests there. Yes. Um, so for us, it's about, yeah, that that does take a little, a little bit longer now, but um, it's very worth it. And, it. and we are, you know, we joined, we wanted to, you know, we set off down this route of being test driven. So we would write our tests first. Um, and there's been there's been challenges with that. We don't do it as much as we would like, if I'm honest. Um, we're, you know, we're working on doing that and taking that approach so that we write our tests first so that then everything is, well, if your customer expects it to do X, Y, and Z, then that's what it's going to do because I've written my tests to make sure it does X, Y, and Z, and I can't I can't pass those tests unless it does those things. Yes. Um, so, yeah, moving towards test room development and, and really taking that on, um, which will, you know, we've got, We've made a big shift in the last few months around that, and we are, you know, using TDD across most of our areas now. Um, that has a massive impact just on the quality of the product you deliver, the number of bugs that are found late in the process where they're expensive to resolve, mm -hmm. um, but also our ability to pivot um, and change direction in terms of, as I say, we can very quickly get something out there because we know that the tests in the other areas are, are passing, and that means we can release the code. So. Cool. Excellent. It goes an odd question for you. What keeps you up at night, John? <laughs> well, it's a it's a funny one, this, but um I think I've raised I've probably written more code in the last 12 months at a startup than I have in the last 15 years anywhere else. So probably the what the engineers are going to write against my pull requests is probably what keeps me up at night. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah. yeah, why why is John writing code and raising pull requests is that uh, is, is it keeps me up. But yeah, I mean, the thing that really does it is um, making life easier for the engineers. We would there's a there's a thing called in, in agile and it's one of these agile terms called I think it's Gemba, which is about you know getting getting back to the team and understanding you know living their life. Yeah. Um, and that's why I quite like, you know, still dabbling a little bit and raising some, you know, fixing some simple bugs because it means they experience the life that the engineers and the people delivering the work are going through. So I can understand, well, actually, we've put this process in or we've put this gate in and yeah. actually that causes a real pain or real friction for those engineers because actually it means they need to do all of these things. Yeah. Um, and when the engineers say, oh, yeah, this isn't, this isn't good, then I can understand that. So, yeah, for me... It's basically, am I doing everything I can to enable the engineers to to basically deliver the most value in terms of frictionless environments? Um, mm. and, and, and that's really difficult in today's day and age with well, today's day and age, just like general technology. You know, we've got cybercrime, we've got, you know, we've got 
data protection. We've got all these things which are critical to the success of any platform and the privacy of customers and the security of the data that these systems hold. Um, but we have to make sure that we, you know, we don't build such high walls or build barriers around our platform that our engineers are actually have their hands tied and can't do anything because mm. we've locked the data down so much or we've done this that they, you know, they can't access anything. So yeah, um, that's that's probably the real thing. Yeah. So as we kind of bring ourselves towards the end arc of the podcast together, John, um, what uh, what advice would you give to other aspiring leaders out there, tech leaders out there? Um, I, I think it is about that empathy for the engineers. You know, you're you're leading a team of designers, engineers, you know, cross-functional, skilled, mm. quality people, and sometimes we forget about what they have to go through the you know we'll say yeah we need to put this thing in to protect this piece of data but we don't actually consider the impact we we talk very much about customers and the value for the customers and, and all of that but we also need to remember that we're here to support and enable the teams and the people who work with us um and i think just having that empathy for those teams so when you i don't know you put in that extra approval process because something went wrong at some point what's the impact of that on the wider team and the future and, and just thinking about that bigger picture it's easy for you know leaders to sometimes forget what it was like to be a software engineer or trying to uh, to get through those checks and balances so i think i think i'd probably say that brilliant yeah that's that's good um it's going to help uh, remind remind people of how uh, a decision uh based on one situation can have an impact on a lot more people than you kind of expect yeah 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 100%. Yeah. And um, any books that you recommend? What books have brought you to this point here, John? Oh, so many books. I think if I had to pick one book out, there's a whole bunch in range. You know, we've seen all the DevOps books and I'm sure you've seen the sort of trees of DevOps books to read. But there's one that I think I was given it by uh, one of my old managers at JP Morgan um, called Accelerate by Nicole Fosgren, and Jez Humble, Gene Kim. Wow. Um and for me, it just cements, it, it, it's all about the metrics and measuring high performing teams and the types of metrics you use. And, you know, it's got some key metrics in there around things like cycle times and, you know, deployments to production and all of that. And I just think as a, as an engineer, it just, you know, it's, it's there in terms of metrics and measures. And we all like to talk about facts and figures and, and that book just puts everything into context about why these things are so so important to measure um, and why they're the right things to measure and and how, you know, how they can drive the right cultures. I think we've all seen, you know, measurements, KPIs, OKRs, whatever, um, brought in to measure a number, but actually that just drives the wrong sort of behavior because yeah. as humans, we naturally chase, you know, it's, the, it's, it's a good old, you know, remember when we used to measure engineer productivity through lines of code like yeah you know, um, <laughs> that's right and people do i mean people say oh they wouldn't do that they do they do don't oh, yeah. they? they'll fill that but they'll fill that baby up with so many lines of code you don't know what you're looking at you know yeah um, yeah so um any other books is, is that is that the one um i mean there's that one i think you know one that we uh we talk about a lot uh, in exazen and we do it is uh simon sinek and start with why yeah. I think technologists often forget about the why. It's easy for us to see the shiny new technology there and um, and not think about, well, is it the right, you know, am I using it because it's new and shiny and it looks good and I, you know, I'm a technologist and I want to play with it or is it making, is that technology going to make a real difference to the customer um, and the end user? So yeah, I think probably start with why is a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Actually, I like some of his other books there. Um, uh, was it Great Leaders Eat Last or something? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one as well. Um, and okay, here you go. I'm going to be a tech genie for a second. I'm going to grant your wish for your leader, <laughs> your teams, or your industry. What would that wish be, sir? Um, I think the wish that I could have would be that we consider, and it's related to what we're doing and the pain that we're seeing, but I think I would like us all to be able to consider or plan for end of life of our customers. What happens to their data? How do we deal with it and how do we make everyone's life easier at a pretty terrible time? Yeah, like it. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a very noble wish. <laughs> that's good. And your and your final key takeaway for the tech leader, women and men out there, what would be your kind of gift to them? 
Oh, gift. I don't know if it's a gift, but I think it's just common sense that we sometimes need reminding of, which is, you know, we're, you know, we're leaders because of the people we've surrounded ourselves with or we've, you know, taken on a journey. Um, I think the last 12 months has been challenging for everyone. And as leaders, we should be making sure we check in with the people we, we manage, we lead, we work with. Um, but I think the thing we always forget, and there's obviously a lot about it, but it's just we should also look after ourselves. So yeah. gift is look after yourself, I think. Lovely. And on that beautiful note, John, thank you for your time. It's been great having you on board. No, it's been brilliant. Thanks for the time, TC. Thank you. What a great leader. What a great tech leader. It was great hearing John's leadership perspectives, wisdom and honesty. That's what these podcasts are about. Real reflections so we can learn together. It's also great to hear about Exizent, creating this much-needed tool and process. Life's complicated enough and challenging enough. I can imagine getting this information at the end of a button press saves so much time and heartache. So my key takeaways from the podcast were as follows. Number one, using tech to create solutions around real human challenges and making life easier for all concerned is a noble endeavour indeed. My second key takeaway is effective communication while working remotely can be improved by over-communicating with the right systems and collectively designed etiquettes in place. Thirdly and finally, working to make yourself expendable is a really smart move, especially if you're an aspiring leader. Being loosely attached to products and projects in an organisation through ensuring others can pick up your leadership, your knowledge and your work allows you to be nimble, agile, able to move in and out of areas with ease and pick up even more experience, like a kind of career ninja. So thank you very much, John, for your time and sharing your leadership experience, the do's and the don'ts and the things to try. And I hope the tool that Exisent and yourself are working on really comes to solve many of the challenges in this area of work. Good luck and I look forward to speaking to you again soon, sir. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like Tech Leader's favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.